We are starting a new series this morning called Deeper, and uh, obviously the, the goal of the service, or the sermons, is to cause us to go deeper in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, kind of piggybacking off of the last series that we did, Identity, where uh, you know, we were challenged to ask the question, who are you in Christ? And I believe from the stories that I've heard, a number of you uh, were reminded or you were told for the first time maybe in your life that you are someone that you had never seen yourself as in Christ, that you are indeed free, that you are indeed forgiven, that you have an identity in Jesus Christ that you cannot have on your own. And so today we want to start this series deeper. How do you go from where you are in your relationship with Jesus now, how do you go into a deeper relationship with him? And I believe that there's responsibilities that we have as believers. Obviously, it's God who causes us to grow, but it should be our desire to go deeper in our relationship with him. And I hope that over these next three weeks, I can give you some material that I hope will help um, as, we wrestle, excuse me, as we wrestle with this question. In all of our significant relationships, we desire to go deeper. And whether that's your spouse or your children, whether that's your neighbor whether that's your boss or your employee, we know that if you have a better relationship, a deeper relationship with this person, ultimately it will benefit you. For example, if you have a better relationship with your neighbor after one year than you did when you started, there's going to be things that are going to come out of that that are going to benefit you. You may be able to cut your grass at 6 in the morning and they'll understand because they know that you're an early person where if you didn't have that relationship, they may be in their house just like, you know, angry. But now they're like, you know what, I get it. I get it. This person has to get up early because that's what they do. I'm not complaining about any of my neighbors, just so you know. In order for our relationships to go deeper, there's some things. I believe that there are three key things that are required. Number one, or one of them is to to communicate deeper. So if you want your relationship to go deeper, you need to also be willing to communicate deeper. You can't go deeper in your relationship if you never go deeper in your communication. I think it would be very difficult if a husband and wife, you know, after maybe 10 years of marriage, they still communicate in that immature kind of way that they did when they were dating. And you know how it is, those of you that are married, you know, you get so good that all you got to do is give your your wife a look or your husband a look and you're like yep yep you know I can just do one of these to Maria and she'd be like yeah Ike's tired of this party let's go home you know and then she gives me the look back like uh-uh you know and I know that she's not tired of this party yet and then we can do this and you guys are looking on from a distance going they are weird they are weird so we're not even saying a single word to each other and yet we're having a fight interesting it's a silent fight I guess that's what they are Another area is you have to learn to understand each other deeper. You know, I can, I can see you're doing that, and if I'm like you, looking at her going, what are you doing? After 10 years, you know, 20 years of marriage, you'd probably be thinking, like, you don't need to learn to understand your wife a little bit better. So in order to go deeper in a relationship, you need to also be willing to go deeper in your understanding of this person, which means you're going to need to get to know them deeper in a more intimate kind of way, in a more personal kind of way, so that you can understand them in a way that you don't now. And then another way, in order for our relationship to go deeper, you're going to need to adore this person in a deeper way. You're going to need to learn to appreciate them, to admire them in a deeper kind of way. 
Come on, all of those of us that are married, we know now that we admire things about our spouse that we didn't even know about when we first got married. And there are things about Maria that used to drive me nuts about her that I now actually really admire. Because I've seen what their motive are, and I've seen why she's like that, and I just, I just admire those things about her. Even though they still sometimes drive me nuts. But I admire them nonetheless. And so in order for our relationship to go deeper with someone, we need to have these three areas of our lives also go deeper. Communicate deeper, understand deeper, and adore in a deeper kind of way. But before we go any further in our relationship with or our sermon this morning, our going deeper in our relationship with Christ, I want to, I need to pause and I need to ask you, what is your motive for being a Christian? What is your motive for being a Christian? Let me ask it this way. Are you a Christian for you? Or are you a Christian for God? Are you a believer in Jesus Christ for you? Or are you a believer in Jesus Christ for God? Did you give your life to Jesus? Did you surrender your life to Jesus for your sake or for God's sake? Let me explain where I'm going with this. If your motive for being a Christian is you, I'm not not sure if that's even possible, but if your motive for being a Christian is you, then you have received all that you will ever receive. And there is no need to go any deeper with Jesus. Because if you accepted Jesus Christ so that you could get your ticket to heaven, then you've now received your ticket to heaven. Why would you want to get to know God anymore? You have all that you wanted. You have your promise that you will be with Him in eternity. You have your promise that you will never be separated from God for eternity. And so if you became a Christian for you, then there's no reason to go deeper with God because you have all that you need and all that you want. And I believe, friends, that this is one of the main reasons why so many people have zero desire to get to know God better. Why? Because they became a Christian for themselves and not for God. Let me explain the other side. If you became a Christian, and if the motive for why you became a Christian was so that God's will could be accomplished in your life, then I believe you're going to want daily to get to know Him better, to communicate deeper, to worship Him more. Why? Because it's your desire to have His will fulfilled in your life. So the motivation would be to know Him more and more and more so that His will could be more completely fulfilled in your life. The motive, this is some of your take home today, the motive behind the relationship changes the direction and the depth of the relationship. The motive behind any relationship will change the direction and the depth of the relationship. And so we want to be like Paul. Paul, who was thrown off his horse and who who saw Jesus face to face and who had his life drastically, dramatically transformed. He says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he says this, I want to know Christ. 
and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in death. Paul says, I want to know Christ. Why? Because my relationship with him is not for me. My relationship with Jesus is for him. And so ultimately, I want to get to know him because my life is driven by him. The motive that I live for, the motive behind why I live for Jesus is not me, it is him. And so therefore, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know in the, his suffering. I want to know him in his death. Why? I want my life to be completely about Jesus. So what is your motive for being a Christian? I just need to throw this in there. You will be hard-pressed to find in Scripture any support for being a Christian for you. You will be hard-pressed to find a verse in this, path, in this Scripture that says that God came to give His life for you so that you could get saved and then live for yourself. All right. I warned some of you this was going to come down hard, so I apologize. But I want us to start with that. We, if we do not start with our motive, then we can give you all kinds of material, we can give you all kinds of information, but if the motive doesn't change, it's possible that none of the principles will have any impact. And so I want us to start with this motive, saying, why do I follow Jesus? If the reason I follow Jesus is purely selfish, then there will be no inspiration to go deeper because there's no incentive to. Incentive to. We want to look at how we can go deeper in our relationship with Jesus. And so instead of using the word communicate, as I said before, I want to use the word prayer. Okay, so instead of saying we want to communicate with God in a deeper way, no, we want to pray to Him. We want to pray in a deeper, more meaningful way. Instead of using the word understand, we need to understand this person. I want to talk to us. I want to look at reading Scripture, learning to understand God deeper through the Word of God because that's, that's the way He communicates to us most directly. And instead of using the word adore, I want us to look at worship. How can we worship Jesus in a more meaningful and personal kind of way? And so we're going to unpack these uh, last two in the next two weeks. Today we want to start by looking at prayer. Most of us in this room would probably have to admit that our prayer life is not what it could be. And yet in the same breath we would say that we see prayer as a vitally important part of our daily life. So we would say, my prayer life is not what it should be, but I see and I recognize that prayer is vitally important, important to us in our lives. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 says this, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. We see in Scripture that Jesus himself often retreats to go pray. When the apostles were tempted in the book of Acts to invest their energy in other important and necessary tasks like caring for widows and the food and the distribution of the food, they chose to leave those things 
to someone else so that they could commit themselves, according to Acts chapter 6, verse 4, so that they could commit themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. It's not that they're not saying those other things were not important, but they're saying we feel that for us, what we need to do as apostles, we need to commit ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Martin Luther declared, I have so much business, I cannot go on without spending three hours daily in prayer. I think we often do it the other way. We have so much going on that it's prayer that takes the hit because there's so much on our schedule. Well, Martin Luther says, there's so much on my schedule that I cannot not pray. I must take time to pray. John Wesley says, God does, not, God does nothing but an answer to prayer. And he backed this up by spending two hours in daily prayer. John Hyde of India made prayer such a dominant characteristic of his life that he was nicknamed Praying Hyde. Because everyone who saw him knew that prayer dominated this person's life. If you're like me, most of you are probably more discouraged than encouraged when you hear stories of these spiritual giants and the amount of time that they spent in prayer. These prayer giants were, are so far beyond what most of us have experienced that we feel or we are tempted to despair. Man, if they spend two hours, three hours every single day in prayer and I'm not even doing that, man, what's the point? So we want to look this morning and saying, how can we go deeper in our prayer life? And the first thing I want to suggest to us is that in order for us to go deeper in our prayer life, we must start with this simple truth. Prayer is something that we need to learn to do. So the first thing we need to do in order to go deeper in our prayer life is to learn how to pray. Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. One day, Jesus was preaching in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples. Now the interesting thing here is Jesus doesn't freak out. Jesus doesn't belittle these guys and say, come on guys. Seriously, you call yourself my disciples and you don't know how to pray? These guys were brave enough to go before Jesus and say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus teaches them how to pray. He teaches them what to say in their prayers. We must start with this understanding that praying is not something that will come naturally to us. We must be willing to learn to pray. If you feel like you don't know how to pray, then you need to learn and you must be willing to learn how. I have found in my own life many, many different uh, situations and different times where I just looked at the situation and I literally had to say, I don't know how to pray here. I don't know what to pray in this situation. I don't know what the right words are. I don't even know how I should cover this situation in prayer. But we must be willing to learn. We must be willing to try. Now here's something that's maybe true in other churches, but I know for a fact that it's true for many of you in this church. Many of you in this church are very uncomfortable with praying out loud. You pray only in silence. You, do, you feel uncomfortable praying out loud. And I want to encourage you to learn how to pray out loud. Your children need to hear you pray. Your people that you are with need to hear you pray because 
through prayer, and I'm not saying that silent prayer isn't powerful, but through prayer, we can support one another. And there's something beautiful about coming together as friends and praying for each other out loud. So is this something, if you're uncomfortable with, is this something that you would be willing to say, okay, I'm going to learn how. I'm going to try. I remember when I was in college, there was a prayer request. And the student uh, up front leading the, the chapel, he, you know, he was looking for volunteers to pray. And it was a difficult prayer request. And I remember sitting there, and I'm not very good with silence in a crowd. And, and it was quiet for a while because no one was volunteering. And, and I remember just sitting there going, like, you know, one of those foolish things, like, okay, fine, I'll pray. And they're like, okay, Ike. And man, did I make a mess of that prayer. It was awful. Everybody's kind of like just waiting for the amen. Because it was just, where are you going, man? I didn't have a clue how to pray for that situation. But I can honestly say, I poured my heart out to God. And it was a disaster. And finally I said, amen. I sat down. And I will never, never forget the guy next to me, Carl. He put his arm on my shoulder. And I kind of had my head down. I'm like, man. And he put his arm on my shoulder and he said this, at least you were willing to give it a shot. Sometimes, friends, we are going to be asked to pray in situations where we are uncomfortable. But we need to be willing to try. Because in order to go deeper in our prayers, we must learn to pray. Another one that we need to do is we need to learn to express ourselves in our prayers. A common practice that I've seen in this church and I've seen with other people is that when there's a prayer request, and then when the person prays, all they do is repeat the prayer request to God. Let me give you an example. This is not a true story. Let's say someone in your circle says, hey, I have a prayer request. I was wondering if you guys could pray for my car. It stopped working. I think the transmission seized up. And then the person says, yeah, I'll pray, and this is what their prayer sounds like. Father, I want to pray for this person whose car has stopped working because they think their transmission has seized up. Thank you, God, for what you will do. Amen. Now, I'm not making fun, but here's the question. What did you ask God for? What did you ask God for if all you've done is repeat their prayer request? Now, I know some of you are saying God knows. Yeah, he does. But what did you ask God for? Look at Luke chapter 11, verse 5 and 6, when Jesus continues preaching, uh, teaching his disciples how to pray. He said to them, then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. So J Jesus is saying, here's this little story. He says, a guy drops in on his friend unannounced. And so the friend who gets dropped in on is like, man, I got nothing for you. So he goes to his other friend and he says, hey, give me some bread because this person dropped in on me. And Jesus finishes later and he says, the person who the, the friend went to to get bread will give him, a, give him what he asked for, not because he is a friend, but because he is bold enough to ask. And so if we never are bold enough to say, God, here's what's needed how will God answer us? Going back to the illustration about the car and the transmission. Are we bold enough to go before God on behalf of our friends and say, God, his transmission doesn't work and I'm asking you to fix the transmission. I'm asking you that you would miraculously somehow restore 
that vehicle? Are we bold enough to go before God and say, hey, God, here's what we need. Here's what's on our hearts. James chapter 4, verse 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask God. In Luke chapter 11, verse 9, Jesus finishes the teaching of his disciples on prayer like this. He says, I say, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks find. And to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So we need to learn to express ourselves. But then right in line with that, we must check our motive. Because if you're thinking, hey, hey, this sounds like a great formula. All I have to do is ask God and he will give me everything I want? No. What is our motive for asking? James chapter 4 verse 2 says you do not receive because you do not ask God. But then in verse 3, he clarifies. He says, when you ask. Okay, so first they didn't ask, so they don't receive. But then he says, but then when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motive. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So what is our motive for praying? Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 says this, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears so that the one who could save him from death, to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus, the Son of God, prayed out of reverent submission to God. So when we pray... Do we pray out of reverent submission or do we pray out of selfish ambition? When you pray, are you praying out of reverent submission to God or do you pray out of selfish ambition? Why were Jesus' prayers heard? Because his motive was right. So when we pray, let's pause to make sure that our motive is right. Let's make sure that we're not praying only for God to answer our prayers so that we can, you know, answer, uh, that we can enjoy those pleasures for ourselves. But let's make sure that our motive is such that we're praying and asking God for His will to be accomplished. And the last thing that I think we need to do to go deeper in our relationship with God is we need to be quiet. So often prayer is considered as nothing more than us talking to God. So we spend all our time just us talking. But prayer is also about listening to God. We must learn to hear the voice of God. We must learn to, to listen to Him and to hear what He has to say to us. We may not hear Him speak in an audible voice, but I believe we can in time, we can learn to hear Him speak. And I believe that He will speak if we take time to listen. When Elijah ran from Jezebel, he ended up in this cave. And God comes and, and there's a great wind and a powerful wind. And it says that the mountain was torn apart. And then there was an earthquake and then there was fire. All these dramatic things happened. But God was not in any of those things. And it says, and then there was a gentle whisper. 
In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 13, it says this, When Elijah heard it, he went to the edge of the cave. You see, Elijah had to be quiet in order to hear the gentle whisper. Are we praying only out of the frustration of our life and the busyness of our life? Or are we taking time in our lives to quiet ourselves down and say, God, I want to pray, but today that requires me to listen. I want to hear what you have to say to me. Praying is communicating. And it should not just be us talking. It needs to be us being willing to listen to what God has to say. So we must be willing to learn to pray. We must be willing to express ourselves, tell God what we need. We must make sure that our motive is right. And we must be silent and wait on the Lord. Let me just give us now a few practical tips. We kind of, you know, that's kind of the foundation. I want to give us just a few practical tips because some of you are saying, yeah, my prayer life is horrible. I haven't prayed in a long time. I don't have a regular prayer time. I don't even know when the last time I've really prayed other than for my meals or when I was in some kind of, you know, difficult situation. So here's maybe a few practical tips that may help you. And these are principles, I mean, these are disciplines. You're gonna, they're going to require you to do some work. Some people, for them, in order to have a steady prayer life, they do what's called a prayer journal. They write down their prayers. They write out their prayers. And, and so for them, this is very impo- uh, powerful because they have their binder, they have their book, and they can see when they pray, they can see what they prayed for. And so this is one way to make sure that they have time and that they have spent time in prayer. Others, they will have like a booklet where on the one page they have prayer requests and praise items, and another book, uh, another page, they have the answers to prayers. And so they'll write down what they, they prayed for something, what the prayer request was, and then later on, if God answered that prayer, they write that down. Again, these are just tools to help people have a steady prayer life. These aren't magic potions that if you do this, suddenly God's going to answer all your prayers. But these are some ways that you can say, look at that. I'm looking at my book here. I haven't prayed in a week. I haven't journaled anything down in a week. I haven't kept log of what I have been praying for. Why? Because I haven't been praying. You need to choose a designated daily time to meet with God. Some of you, that's going to be early in the morning because you're morning people. For me, that doesn't work. I think if I get up too early in the morning and pray, my prayers pretty much sound like, God, how do we stay awake? Uh, that's about it. I'm just not a morning guy. Now, luckily, I get to spend my time in the afternoon and different times. But you are going to need to set a time in your day. Just like you set time to be at work on a certain time, you set time to eat at a certain time, and we can somehow make that work. Friends, I want to challenge us to do the same thing with prayer. We will pencil in a time in our day where we will commit ourselves to prayer. Because if you don't, this is going to sound cheesy, if you don't, you won't. I think if you just never write it down as here's a time I'm going to do it, you just are not going to find the time to do it. You need to set a specific minimum amount of time that you will spend in your prayer life. Not a maximum amount of time, a minimum amount of time. Why do I say that? Let's say you say, I'm going to pray for 15 minutes, and two minutes in, you're like, 
I'm kind of all done. I don't know what else to pray for. Okay, then I won't pray. But if you say, no way, I can't leave here until 15 minutes is up, this may be a great time for you to wrestle with God and say, teach me to pray. This is ridiculous, God. I can't even talk to you. I can't even listen to you. I can't even spend time with you for 15 minutes. God, teach me to pray. So set a minimum amount of time that you will spend daily in prayer. Choose a location where you can meet with God. Just like your family meets around the dinner table or around the television, no one says, hey, let's go watch a movie, and no one knows where to go. Oh, in the kitchen or where? Where, where? No, you all know. If you say to your family, let's go watch a movie, you know the location for that movie. Let's go play a game, and most of the time you know exactly where to go. Let's go have a barbecue, and outside you go. Why? Because you know the location of these meaningful times. And we need to do the same thing with prayer. For some of you, you don't have an office to sit in. Your time may be your car as you commute. So for some of you, you may want to say, hey, I'm going to pray from Leamington to Essex every single day on my drive to work. Or I'm going to pray the last five minutes before I get home. I'm going to spend that time in prayer for my family so that when I arrive home, that I will have prayed in preparation for my arrival. Choose a designated time, a minimum time, and a location. One more thing. You're maybe saying, how am I going to spend half an hour? How am I going to spend 20 minutes? What do I do when I sit there to pray? All I've ever done is prayed, God, help me when there's an issue. How am I going to spend time, or how am I going to fill this time in prayer? There's, there's many different models, but probably the most common one is this thing called Acts. A, adoration. Spending time praising God for who he is. C, confession. Telling him things that you've done wrong and asking him to forgive you. T, thanksgiving. Thanking him for prayers answered, helping you through your daily life. In S, supplication. Asking God for daily needs. And if you take those things, and it's going to look so like a formula at first, but I think after a while, this will become something that will become more natural. But if you need to start by writing these down and using it as a formula, hey, you're learning to pray, it's okay. And saying, God, right now, I want to start with A. Father, I want to praise you for who you are. I want to thank you for being the God of the universe. I want to thank you for taking interest. God, you are so much bigger than me. See, confession, here are things that I've thought today or done today. Learn how to pray. Most people struggle with praying or keeping a faithful schedule of prayer because they feel that their prayers aren't going anywhere. Come on, we're all in this room, and one thing we all have in common, there are things we've prayed for that God has not answered the way we thought he should. There's maybe things that we've prayed for that we begged God for, and he, it seemed that he did not answer. And so we're tempted to despair, and we're tempted to say, well, he doesn't hear me anyway. But we know from Scripture that Jesus promised to never leave us or forsake us. We know from Scripture that Jesus hears our prayers and answers our prayers. And so sometimes when we have these feelings, because our feelings can go up and down, we feel really positive and really negative the next, what we must do is remind ourselves that God's Word is constant, 
And we're going to have to combat those feelings that say there's no reason to pray by saying, no, Scripture commands me to pray. Scripture tells me that God hears my prayer. So I will discipline myself to pray even if I don't feel like praying. Let me invite the band up. I want to close by just giving you one final thought. One final thought. Here's a truth that you all believe and you all know. That God loves you. All of you in this room today, you know that God loves you. You've heard that so many times and you believe that. But I want to remind you of something that maybe you've forgotten. And that is that you love Him. You love Him. It's so easy for us to say, yeah, God loves me. But do you remember that you love Him? I, sometimes when I talk to husbands and wives and they'll talk and there's some conflict in their, in their life and, and they'll be talking, it's like, you know, do you, do you think your wife loves you? Oh, I know my wife loves me. And I'll look at this person, do you love your spouse? And they have this look on their face like, oh my goodness, I forgot. I love my wife. I love my husband. So I'm going to put the effort in. Because not only do I know they love me, but I know that I love them. And I want to remind you guys today that I know that you love Jesus. Have you forgotten? I hope not. So I hope that this simple truth reminds you today, I must spend time going deeper in my relationship with Jesus because I love him. I love him. So we're going to close by singing a song called Majesty. It says, here I am, humbled by your majesty. And I pray that this morning it would be our prayer to be before God and saying, God, here we come, humbled before you. We, we love you, Jesus. We want to go deeper in our relationship with you. Why? Because you are God and we are not, but because we love you. Because we must. Let's stand and let's sing.